that's the that's the gist. The football library exists to promote football literature and includes fanzines, programmes, coffee table books and books on women's football, which is where, Tom Gary, you come in. OK, thanks for speaking to me. It's very nice to be asked. No, it's, it's lovely to get some authors about women's football because, as you can imagine, out of the 140 people I've spoken to, three, possibly four, have been the women's game. And I know the Football Museum... The National Football Museum in Manchester is trying to get parity. It's trying to get 50-50 parity between men and women. Uh, That's probably too big an ask for the football library. But we do have several memoirs here. Would you like to read any Aluko's book or Kelly Smith's book or the Fran Kirby How to Be Awesome pamphlet, which is just one page? Let's say for argument, you approached Fran or Fran approached you. Would you write that book? Goodness, uh, it would be an honour to write. There's so many incredible players with, with great life stories to tell um, in, the, in the women's game. Fran, no more so than Fran. Goodness, she's had a, a remarkable life of, of ups and downs, real challenges, and she's overcoming them. So, yeah, goodness me. But, yes, I suspect that there will be a lot of takers keen on on something like that. Uh, not something that I've been asked about for the time being. Our story around, particularly around the out alcohol struggle she had at the time was, was a powerful one to tell we've got so many players who are of that profile so um, I think we will see more and more uh, lionesses writing writing autobiographies at some point in the next sort of 10 years but um, maybe they're hoping to win to win a tournament first and then and then well, I guess we all are hoping that right that they'll mm-hmm. win a tournament and then and then things will skyrocket but uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see the floodgates will open because Over the last 10 years, the demand for the women's game has reached such an extent that it seems like every day you've got a piece in the Telegraph and um, there is another great aspect of English football coming up. Um, I should preface this by giving you the boring bits of trying to arrange a chat with exclusive merchant Tom Gary. Um, We're talking on the 20th of May. Uh, Chelsea play Everton in the FA Cup this evening, Women's FA Cup. Are you getting along to that or are you going off t- TV? I'll be off TV purely because I'm currently in isolation after uh, after flying to Sweden for the Women's Champions League final. So normally I would be there, but right now I've got uh, the rest of the week at least to, to stay at home and, and sort of quarantine under the rules. So I've had a few calls from Tess and Trace to check that I'm here at home. Oh, good. Uh, check me up on me very fortunate to write a story pretty much every day but it's not always it's not always quite so so busy but I know the fortnight around the end of the season is uh, mm. is often when the most big stories are around as people's jobs change managers leave and come and go and and contracts are coming up so there's lots of transfer stories so yeah busy fortnight yes and last week we were meant to chat and I noticed on the Telegraph website that you'd broken the Casey Stoney story and then on uh, Thursday or Friday he said I'm so sorry but I've finally got some accreditation to go to Gothenburg uh, so we can't do it then I said look don't worry that is far more important than getting you into the football library and finally I do give you your laminated football library card now I don't know who to put on it because Brian Glanville um, I've spoken to Julie Welch and Brian Glanville will get a right to reply about his views which I think are ossified in time. Um, but who would you want on your football library card? Because there are several great authors about women's football. Goodness. Um, well, I suppose um, I would have just purely out of uh, pure, pure 
admiration and, and, and loyalty, I would have to say um, my friend and colleague Chris Slegg, who without whom there wouldn't be um, a number of books, but particularly the Women's Football Yearbook that he kindly invited me to co-write, and now he's also written another book which uh, with Patricia Gregory, which is on the history of the Women's FA Cup final, and uh, I can't stress how important a, an archive that book has provided because um, the research that Chris and Patricia have done for that, um, that goodness, I can't explain this, there are women's football journalists all around the country who are uh, immensely grateful for that book because um, the Women's FA Cup final has proven so difficult to, to find reliable information about for my whole career. Um, I've covered quite a few Women's FA Cup finals while being quite embarrassed that I was sitting there not necessarily knowing for sure things like um, there were certain records around who'd score the most goals in a final or the fastest goals in finals, but the sort of things that you would need or you would need to have to hand very quickly if there was a goal after 10 seconds. Um, was that the fastest goal in the final? We just didn't know that sort of thing um, because the records weren't there. And so Chris and Patricia, in my eyes, are legends. So I would, yeah, I have to say, um, Chris, please. I can't overstate the importance of the book they've just recently put out on the history of the Women's FA Cup final because I think it was a crying shame that we didn't have an, a, an accurate record anywhere at the FA. Even even the mighty Wikipedia couldn't offer mm. us all the goal scorers. Until from, now. Uh, now we have that. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, I take my hat off to, to Chris, who, who, yeah, that book will, will go a very long way to correcting some of the myths about the tournament. And I saw it with my own hands and eyes. It was in the Waterstones on Islington, uh, opposite the cinema. I went in yesterday, looked at the football literature just to see if there were any I could add to my collection on the shelves of the football library. And there it was. Uh, Maybe my eye glossed over it, but I didn't see any football yearbooks in that particular Waterstones. I did see it in the Charing Cross Road foils. And I went, oh, I should have heard of this, the Women's Football Yearbook. It's got a nice picture of Emma Hayes, that particular volume, who uh, I was walking yesterday in North London and I heard that Emma Hayes is going to sign a new contract. Who got the exclusive on that and how did you get it? Uh, goodness, that was something that uh, we were privileged to, to break uh, a couple of days ago on the Telegraph website, um, just through various sources on, on both ends of the deal I suppose that was something that we had to be quite patient with because um, I know that um, Emma Hayes's uh, contract was something that both she and the club were quite keen not to be the centre of attention until after the, they'd won the title and after the Champions League final period because everybody involved just wanted full full focus and attention on those those trophies so it was something where it took a bit of patience and a bit of um, trust on, on all sides but um once they'd had the Champions League final, it felt it felt um, fitting to start asking those questions again because it's um, our highest profile and most successful manager of, of modern times, and in my opinion, um, the best manager in the country at the moment. So I only felt right to be asking sources about that sort of thing because um, I know that in the men's game, if any of anybody of a similar profile and, and ability to Emma was coming up towards the end of her contract, it would be talked about. Right, that's in centre. So it was a, a privilege again to be able to, to break that story. Um, and now I guess you're always into that little kind of nervous but sort of uh, strange period as a as a journalist where you're kind of, you've written a story and then you're kind of waiting for the <laughs> confirmation. Yeah. But it will come in the next fortnight or so, and everybody all seems really thrilled about about what they're building there. Yeah, it, it, and the chairman and the owner are both involved in it. Bruce Buck comes out very well from all the press surrounding Chelsea's 
run to the final, which we will get to. But I just want to mention the other three exclusives that you've had in the last week and a half. And it's the sublime and the ridiculous. The sublime is uh, Eniola Aluko, Eni Aluko, whose book is, is um, also sublime and ridiculous in what she says. Uh, she's going to Los Angeles uh, and she's gone. Uh, Carla Ward resigned from Birmingham City Woman uh, because the facilities were not up to scratch and there are various problems, deep-lying problems, uh, that the Women's Super League Club are having. And then exclusive number three was last week. Uh, You call it, or the sub-editor called it, a gigantic loss that Casey Stoney is moving to somewhere in America. Does that mean she's relocating with her family to the US? I, I believe so. I don't believe the final decision has been made on, on the team that she will, she will definitely go to. But, um, yeah, we're, we're very much expecting Casey will, will go to, to the USA. In particular, it, it does sound more and more likely that she will go to one of the new clubs, San Diego, who are joining the NWSL in around uh, 10 months' time uh, from next season. So, uh, yeah, I think it is a huge loss for the women's game because I think up until the last couple of months when not unhappiness, but I sense a sense of disappointment around some of the things that Man United started to kind of emerge. Casey Stoney said in a press conference that she, she felt it, she took it as a personal failure that they'd not qualified for the Women's Champions League. I, I think she was being quite harsh on herself there, actually. I think they were unfortunate with the injuries um, to, to really key players. So they were top at Christmas, um, Stoney's team, and to finish fourth, I know, was a big disappointment. And I think... Um, that's all played a part in her decision to to move on and step aside. Yeah, it's a huge loss because I think everybody assumed that we were talking about somebody who would be at Manchester United for the foreseeable future and then was probably likely to be the next England manager once she'd had that. Uh, and she may well still be the next England manager. We don't know how long Serena Wiegmann will be in charge after Wiegmann arrives in around September. I'm expecting Wiegmann to be very successful. She has huge pedigree. Well, I think there was a real sense that Stoney was... I can't think of the right phrase here because apprenticeship is not the right word for um, being Man United manager. But there was a sense that she was building towards... Uh, yeah, and she was working with so many young England players as well that I think that there was a, an excitement about the fact that when those England players were hitting their mid-20s that Stoney would be in line perhaps as the next England manager. That might, that might still happen, not only for Man United, but for the wider league. She's a big loss. I can't tell you how how uh, honest and, and, how, and how her sound morality comes out in the press conferences when we, when as a member of the media, when you, there are controversial issues. So many clubs understand, for understandable reasons, their managers are quite reserved or, or restrained in, in, in what they say about certain things. And that's never been the case with, with Casey Stoney. She maintains professionalism while also being very happy to speak her mind and, and give strong quotes and that. The media turnouts on her press conferences and Emma Hayes's, I should just as well, but the media turnout on her press conferences is is very high because of that. And that, uh, as somebody who has covered WSL press conferences a few years ago when the, you might be the only person on the press conference to now see 20, 25, 30 people regularly on, on Hayes and Stoney's press conferences, you realise how how important a role those two are playing yeah. in growing the sport. So yeah, for Stoney to leave, I think, is, is a real loss. Uh, one of the things she spoke her mind on was about treatment of people with darker skin pigmentation. That's the um, term I want to use here. One of whom is Lauren James. And when I read the article that said she was rumoured to go to Chelsea, I just went, well, duh. Is that just lazy journalism or do you reckon that it makes perfect sense for Lauren James, a very exciting player, uh, to go to the club where her England international brother is? 
Uh, that's that's very possible. I know that that really sparked into life that that uh, rumor when briefly uh, Lauren James's name appeared on the list of shirt names that you could put on your your shirt on the Chelsea merchandise website, uh, which I was assured was uh, an error that was meant to say Reese James. There was also uh, a mix up with uh, a men's player name as well, the Mendy, where a Manchester City player Benjamin Mendy's name was listed instead of Edouard Mendy. Uh, I don't think we should read too much into to that, but yeah, I I, I'm, I understand that there is interest there. I also think there's interest from uh, from Leon as well and a number of other clubs, um, but also Man United will, will be really keen to keep Lauren James. I suspect it probably depends a lot on who comes in as the new manager and what their ideas are. And uh, yeah, Lauren James is a hugely exciting talent, uh, and I think uh, some of the abuse she received on social media earlier in the season was clearly abhorrent um, and uh, she was very brave in speaking about it to the Telegraph uh, in a first person piece with one of my colleagues um, uh, which was which was very powerful and I think she, I know she was very grateful for the support that she was shown by by the club and by by Casey Stoney um, and that sort of stuff's been happening unfortunately far too often this season and, and for too many years a talented player um, I think she's been unfortunate with injuries now and she she will will see her really kick on in the future the, the problem she's got at the moment I suppose is that that wide forward position is where um, England are arguably at their strongest in terms of the options so we've not seen her get many call-ups yet but I think that will change but she's up, you know, she's up against um, other breakthrough stars in, in Lauren Hemp Chloe Kelly Obviously, we know all about the, the talent of, of Frank Kirby. Ellen White is a more central striker, but there's also Tony Duggan, who can play out wide, Beth, Beth Mead, and goodness, I could keep going, Nikita Paris, obviously. Uh, so we are blessed with attacking options there. So I think um, that's probably why we haven't seen her get as many call-ups, mm. but that, that will change in the near future, I've no doubt. I've got a fun Ellen White anecdote. She was there with her partner, but, um, getting a press pass for a game at the Hive. And I just turned to her and said, good luck. At the, I think I said, are you, are you being picked for the summer? She went, probably. I went, good luck. Thanks. Uh, I didn't do the whole the celebratory fingers to the eyes. Um, really hard to do that, Johnny, though. It's really, it it's really is. difficult. You have to invert it. And yeah, you have to have really flexible wrists. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm still not quite mastered it after years of trying. Um, <laughs> and why it's actually one of the politest people you could ever ask to meet. Uh, yeah, I, I can't actually ever, I can't really imagine her getting into an argument. I'm sure she does at some point in her life, as everybody does, but it's really hard to imagine that. She's just an extremely friendly uh, and calm human being. Very nice, uh, very nice person. Yeah, they must be very nice to deal with as a journalist. Uh, it would be remiss of me not to mention Telegraph Women's Sport, which has changed the game. Uh, and it certainly taught me an awful lot uh, about the physiology of the female athlete. This is Anna Kessel's baby. Not literally, she's got other babies, hasn't she? Um, but uh, Eat, Sweat, Play is a canonical text which is in the football library. Uh, you don't have to if you don't want to, but can you just praise Anna's role in developing coverage of the women's first football game, but it's rugby and cricket and everything? Of course. Well, uh, on, on so many different levels, Anna's somebody who was one of the, the, the few covering women's sport prominently and at a high level, uh, you know, before it became, uh, in terms of team sports, before it became as mainstream as it is now. And, and in that sense, what she was doing before being at the Telegraph 
was already inspirational to many people. And now the Telegraph, goodness, the, 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 the women's sport department, uh, which, uh, unless I'm hugely mistaken, is the only dedicated women's sport team yeah. within one of the UK papers. That's just fantastic. That was so, for me, that, that was such an appeal to, to, to join the team because having a whole team focused on on women's sport is just is fantastic and I think I, I suspect more organisations will follow suit and follow the Telegraph's example and, and I've found that with Anna you have a women's sports editor who is, is just is just so incredibly uh, behind all of this and so supportive of, of more and more women's sports stories so put it this way it's, it's never really a battle to persuade some but Anna that it's a story because she knows and she appreciates that the women's sport is important where I imagine other organisations it's a lot harder to convince an editor that you're you're exclusive or your your interview uh, with a certain women's sports star is as important as it is. So um, yeah, I'm very lucky to work work for Anna. She's absolutely fantastic and continues to to, to blaze a trail through the industry and uh, and simply the whole team at the Telegraph. Uh, Anna's deputy Vicky Hodges is doing a brilliant job, of course, and, and the reporters. Um, I mean, I just do football, so I, I guess I've got the relatively easy job compared to. My colleagues Molly McKelvey and, and Fiona Thomas, who who do all women's sports, so we're talking that like they need to have knowledge of uh, dozens of different sports. Which I, whereas I'm very much just got the luxury, I suppose, of just focusing on football. So um, I'm, I'm constantly in awe of their their multi-sport knowledge. And similarly, our social media editor for Dumo um, is doing doing things with graphics and social media that I, I, I can't comprehend. So, yeah, it's a great team. Um, they're all brilliant. And um, I've, I've been really lucky to join them since I joined in December after about uh, five or six years at the BBC. And the team are fantastic. Yeah, I, I can't uh, speak highly enough of everybody. I suppose you replaced Katie Wyatt, uh, the Bradfordian who has jumped ship to go to that website that wants to kill print media. Although you were pictured with Katie uh, in front of the stadium just last weekend at Gothenburg. There was you, the great Molly Hudson, Susie Rack of The Guardian, uh, and you, and there may have been one more. Was that Anna? Well, yes, Katie actually um, didn't travel. Uh, Charlotte Harper, her colleague from The Athletic, uh, was out there doing a great job. Um, and I know Katie wrote some some, nice, some really good coverage from home. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a great, lovely team out there. Ian Herbert was also out there at the final from, from the Mail. Um, a, a hugely experienced and, and writer and, and a lovely chat to spend some time with on the trip as well. So, yeah, it was a good group out there. We were lucky to be accredited and uh, it was all quite last minute. But, yeah, it was a great, they're a very really nice bunch. One of the things we find in women's football is that the media, even if you're a rival, so to speak, um, everyone's still extremely friendly, supportive of each other. Um, we tend to, uh, for example, I don't know if this happens in the men's game, but I, we would always tend to uh, share and divvy up the transcription of, of long press conferences rather than 12 people all transcribing all half an hour mm. of it on their own we work as a team in that sense that community spirit is, is brilliant it's really helpful and it's um, everyone looks out for each other on these trips abroad making sure everybody was all organised and, and everyone was okay on safe flight and that sort of thing so yeah it's a lovely team and, and Katie you mentioned Katie's move to the Athletic I mean I, I can't recall before many examples of a women's football journalist transfer so it was quite uh, it was great for her she's doing for the Athletic and um I thought it was quite nice to see the buzz around that move because it, um, we often see excitement when, when men's football journalists are moving teams. And, um, yeah, it was quite refreshing to sort of see such a buzz around around that around that appointment. And, yeah, very good luck to her. I should say the award-winning 
Katie Wyatt. And it must also, pulling the, the quotes or um, sharing the transcription, that must help uh, the people who give the quotes, i.e. your Emma Hayes's, uh, your Casey Stoney's, who want true transcription of their words and meaning and um, nuances, which might not come across uh, in the book. A stunning book that I read. Uh, I actually read it because I had a morning doing nothing in Glasgow. And I sat in the Waterstones in Glasgow. I do spend a lot of time in bookshops. And more or less cover to cover, I read, is it They Don't Teach That, uh, in Eola Aluko's book. That's right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she came off in the way that so many non-white professionals come off, just crushed, more than the legal or the moral aspect, just crushed by every aspect of the journey into doing her job. Have you spoken to any? I know you got the exclusive about her moving, but... Yeah, we actually spoke with her this morning because um, just shortly before speaking um, with you for this, we, we had her unveiling press conference at her new club, Angel City, um, which is a, a, a hugely exciting job for her because, um, for those who don't know, Angel City and one of the new American teams uh, who will join the American League next year, they are... Um, they're majority owned by women, but also they're majority owned by huge celebrities and sporting icons. Uh, their investors include Serena Williams, Billie Jean King, actresses like Eva Longoria and Natalie Portman, uh, and former Women's World Cup winners in, in Abby Wambach and, and Mia Hamm. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a really unique sports club, completely standalone from any men's football organisation, which is quite different to what we have here in the UK. So... And they've chosen any as their first sporting director, so she's going to have the job of building that team from scratch when you can just see from the excitement in her face and the tone of her voice how uh, much she's, she's uh, buzzing for that opportunity and, what, and why wouldn't you be, goodness, uh, living in L.A., working with all those legends. Of, I mean, goodness, uh, imagine if one of your bosses was, was Billie Jean King and Serena Williams. That's quite cool. Looking forward to seeing how that goes. It's a, it's a, it's a big job. After having some time at Aston Villa, where she was uh, not too dissimilar kind of role, because it was Villa transitioned to play full-time professional football for the first time for their women's teams after winning promotion. So uh, Luca was tasked with uh, essentially recruiting their first professional team. And uh, yeah, it's a similar sort of thing in that regard. So um, it'll be fascinating to see how she, how she gets on over there. Yeah, they are literally FC Hollywood. Never mind Bayern Munich. This really is. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing that. And we keep losing these uh, English black stars to America. David Iyelowo, Idris Elba, um, Yola, who's one of my favourite singers, now lives in Nashville. And they just have to look after them. And I'm sure any will be looked after. And if she likes driving, she'll love the L.A. freeway. Where's the stadium? Is it Pasadena? Right in the middle of L.A., Amazingly, they've been without having played a game yet. They've already sold a huge number of, uh, of tickets, right. apparently, and they, they've started a, a scheme where they uh, they for every seat that uh, somebody reserves pays to reserve that they're they're giving out uh, a sports bar to to girls or women from un- underprivileged right. uh, backgrounds in, in the local community to try and get more people carrying on playing sport, which uh, is which is one of their many initiatives, and I, I think we're all quite impressed with that their philosophy. The, yeah. yeah. That's the future, kind of compassionate capitalism. Um, talking of capitalism, the, this um, injection of cash into the women's game, will it not encourage clubs and sporting directors to bring in more, even more foreigners? Are we going to see Arda Hegerberg 
coming in, will we, and conversely, will we thus see English football as an entity compete with Spanish football, brackets Barcelona, and French football, brackets Lyon? So, pros and cons of this TV deal. Uh, yeah, well, that, uh, it's a really good point because actually even before this TV deal, we saw last summer huge numbers of, of, of foreign players being signed by women's Super League clubs. And that's before we saw the, the influx of, of the, this new cash that will come in from next season for the deal. Uh, and I think there's a few reasons for that. But um, partly that was because clubs were anticipating the, the changes coming in for the Brexit uh, visa regulations. So from now on, it might be a bit harder to sign players from overseas unless they are a Hegerberg uh, the top of the sport, for example, because that someone like that would meet would meet the criteria. But what you won't be able to do from now on was is, is sign uh, the kind of smaller names from from uh, lower ranked countries um, to add to your squad. So, uh, yeah, I, sorry, that's your question. I there are pros, and, yeah, there are huge pros and cons with the money, but I think um, the pros out are outweighing it at the moment because um, and let's not forget the money. The money's groundbreaking for the women's game but it's still small change compared to the billions that are coming in commercially to the Met to the men's top flights so my understanding is the new women's super league deal is is worth just over seven million uh, pounds per season in terms of the rights plus there's also further investment from from particularly sky with the marketing that they will do around this so probably looking at around eight million per year in total coming in uh, from from the broadcasters sky and the bbc in total that will make a big difference Typically, as I understand it, the FA have actually been in, been putting in around roughly around seven million per year to women's football over the past few years. So it's, it's a similar amount of money now that they're getting in. What actually what people have have said to me from the clubs in particular is that they actually think this is the big deal before the proper big deal uh, mm-hmm. because what they're anticipating is that after three years of exposure on BBC One and BBC Two, where the, where we're expecting really big audience numbers, mainly because it's it'll be one of the only available free-to-air football you can watch on those channels, at club level anyway. After three years of that exposure, they're expecting the value value of those rights to have, have skyrocketed even further. So I wouldn't be surprised if the deal in three years' time is, um, is in the tens of millions rather than in, the, in a, uh, single millions. At the moment, I am slightly concerned with how many clubs are reliant on on overseas stars. But I think what will I think that will change. It will take a long time. But if we give it a generation, yeah, give it many years. What what, is, what we're seeing at the moment is huge talent coming through in the young, in the clubs and academies, and it will take us a long time to really see the fruits of that labour. But um, I'm confident that in ten years' time, now that we've had professional full time girls academies at these top clubs for ever since the professional era licences came in. I think that we will see that being different in um, in ten years, but we shouldn't forget that it was yeah it was ten years ago or so. It was only really Arsenal who were producing players at a full time kind of academy. So and nowadays we're seeing youngsters come through at Man City. Uh, actually, I should mention Man City that their team has always been predominantly British. Uh, they won the title in 2016 with an entirely British starting eleven, which was very impressive. There are exceptions, but um, we're still building up the depth of talent in this country because um, there haven't been very many full-time professionals for very long. The league only turned full-time in 2018, so it will take time for the youngsters to come through. But the longer we have young players training full-time, the better the the English pool of talent will become uh, in the future, and that's very exciting. Amen to that. I suppose one of the pros is that maybe Birmingham will sort themselves out. I know Stephen Lansdowne is investing into Bristol City's team, uh, but they've suffered terribly and they leak more goals 
than a dripping tap of footballs. What's more important to the women's team? The owners who funnel money or the outside investment and the money that they gain from the men's game, if there is any to gain, or um, the TV money? I think the most important thing is any money that comes in from outside the football club because what women's football has to do now is is uh, move to a position in the future where it's not reliant on men's football to, to prop it up financially. And, and those at the FA involved admit this, you know, it's not self-sustainable at the moment yet. It will, and it won't, it still won't be that with the new TV deal because it won't, you know, that will not entirely cover costs. Uh, but I think what will, what will change with the TV deal more than the TV money is the, what you can attract for your sponsorship on front of shirt, for example, and all those other kind of commercial things around adverts and stuff around the stadium I think the value of those commercial deals will, will really improve because of the fact you've got exposure on such big channels and, and therefore bigger audiences so but no the, the most important money doesn't come from the owner the most important money needs to come from outside so that the the, the, the sport becomes self-financing and we're getting there I mean what people don't I don't think a lot of people realise the enormous engagement and followings that some of our women's super league clubs have on social media at the moment um Chelsea and Man United and, and Arsenal's Instagram accounts, for example, are, are running in the, in the millions in terms of the number of followers. A lot, a significantly more interaction on social media than than a high number of men's Premier League clubs and and a lot more than men's Championship clubs. That's partly down to the fact that their men's the men's clubs have such huge numbers that there's a lot of spin off from that. But um, yeah, when you're Chelsea and you've got over two and a half million Instagram followers for your women's team. You can see the potential of that of the brand there. At the moment, they're really reliant on the clubs, owners, and at Birmingham, there's all the clubs who, whose uh, brother club, shall I call them, are not in a men's Premier League. All of them are at a bigger disadvantage. Birmingham, particularly, uh, sadly for the purists, uh, we, we're moving towards a position in, in the next few years where all of the top five women's teams will be linked to a men's Premier League club. I, 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 there are exceptions. There could be exceptions. I know Durham and Lewis are fighting for promotion. Um, as, as are Sheffield United who are now in the championship men's wise but um, realistically in five years time I would be very surprised if the entire WCL isn't made up of, of clubs with a men's Premier League affiliate even in the lower leagues we're seeing Southampton making fantastic investments Southampton women's team they're in the fourth tier but their their facilities are better than than that at Birmingham mm. by, by a long way their academy is exciting uh, I know Wolves have got ambitious plans. Burnley are planning to turn full time in in the next few years, and we know Leicester have just come up from the Championship as well. So yeah, I, I think the days, sadly, where you know Doncaster Bells might fight it out with with Birmingham uh, and others in the top tier, um, those are coming to an end. You mentioned Birmingham at the start of your question. I mean, regrettably, now the writing is on the wall that unless there is a big change there in terms of what they can afford to invest. Uh, that they will soon be be relegated. They'll be favourites to go down next year just yeah. because the promoted side Leicester we expect to be so strong with their um, impressive investment. So yeah, it's going to be a really tough year for Birmingham. Carl Ward stepped down as manager after after an exhausting year of off field challenges. Kept them in the league on the final day of the season, which was an overachievement, really, given that the only had eight players when she took over. They're only going to have three players under contract, as I understand it, this summer. So um, there's going to need to be another huge recruitment and, and, and we're expecting that the vast majority of those signings will have to be free transfers, out-of-contract players, um, loans from other clubs again. So 
whoever takes over there has got a, a really difficult task to keep Birmingham in the league next year. So it's another Notts County situation. I, I I guess maybe not quite as bad as that. Notts County was one of the the saddest examples we've seen because they they quite literally disbanded the team on the eve of a new season, having been cup finalists less than two years previously, and they, and they had so many England stars in their team as well at the time. That would be unfair to Birmingham, I think, to call it the same as that because they they still intend to to carry on um, supporting a women's team. I just think that. Um, when you're in the bottom half of the men's championship, unfortunately, the owners' priorities are, for various reasons, are, are putting more money into the into the men's thing to prioritise uh, that. And I suppose you can understand that to a degree in the sense that you know um, keeping the men in the championship in turn helps ensure they can support the women's. It's a regrettable situation. Um, we'd all like to see more more equality. Um, I think Birmingham fans are really really disappointed with how the ownership are treating the women's team. The players we know to be unhappy around the facilities, the the the, the small size of some of the physio treatment rooms, the the, the, the issues with the pitch at Solihull Moors. But um, to their credit, Birmingham was off a balance. I should say they are now going to play at St Andrews next season for oh, the great. women's team, and they are, I'm told, looking for a new new long term home for the women's team as well. So they're not going away. Any, they're not going anywhere like Notts County. Not, I, don't, I don't envisage them folding the side. But we do see that happen far too often in women's football. For the time being, clubs are still too reluctant, too at the mercy of an owner who could switch the tap off um, of finances at any moment. Um, we've seen it happen before. We, even going back twenty years, we've seen clubs uh, having great success. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Fulham and, uh, were were riding high at the top of the the women's game. Um, we've seen you know, Croydon were were one of the top teams. Um, Charlton had a, had a cracking side at various points and all these teams have had various ups and downs and a lot of that is simply not down to the players but it's down to off-field off-field related uh, decisions 